So we're continuing to spend some time with Paul and the church at Corinth in his first letter to them. Um, and I, I have to tell you that as I read the 15th chapter, which is where we are this evening, um, you're reminded that the 13th is a hard act to follow. And I, I don't want to dismiss this, but man, can, I mean, there's just so much richness. And I have to tell you that this is one of those passages where it's easy to just gloss over it. But I think there's a rich message in here, and one, it's one of the reasons why uh, we're going to read from the message translation tonight, um, which, if you're unfamiliar with it, is um, a translation done by a pastor whose first name is completely escaping me right now, but his last name is Peterson. Does anybody know it? Because he wrote this great book called Pastor Eugene Peterson. Thank you. See, he's not just an amazing uh, musician. But he's also great with names. Um, so, but Eugene Peterson, and it's, it's, it's done in, in some modern language. It's really very beautiful. But, and I just would invite you to read along or to listen and hear these words and let them speak to you. Friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This message that I proclaimed and that you made your own. This message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy that you're in this for good and holding fast. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as Scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from death on the third day, again, exactly as Scripture says that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers, all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have since died, that he spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. And I'm not about to let His grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do, God giving me the energy to do it. So whether you heard it from me or from those others, it's all the same. We spoke God's truth, and you entrusted your lives. Would you pray with me? Loving God, as we read the words, as Paul proclaims that his work speaks your truth, we boldly pray for nothing less in these moments. We pray for your truth to be made known 
heard, even spoken in these moments. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through me, and if need be, in spite of me, so that your word, your truth alone would be heard. Amen. So I want to just remind us to start that Paul, in this first letter to the church in Corinth, is responding fundamentally to disunity, to division, to a frustrated and disheartened congregation, community, uh, family, all of those words that we know those adjectives apply or can as things begin to break apart, as relationships that we so anticipate or expect or hope to stay strong um, sometimes hurt all the more when they begin to break apart. The challenge and the frustration that can happen uh, with a, a congregation certainly is the case. And as, I, as we have noted before through the series, because how can we not, that we are in the midst of our own denomination of a potential split as well. Um, it, it, is a, it causes us to question a whole lot. Uh, question our, our leadership. Question the, the foundations of the structures and the, all the, well, you know, I, I really should have brought a book of discipline so I could, you know, hold it up as an example and then ultimately throw it, but I'd probably break a window and, whew, that would not be great. Um, but we know what that frustration is like, and, and I want to say that whether it is connected to the frustrations that may occur within a unit like a family, a congregation, a denomination, the reality is that for some of us, there can even be disunity between us and God. There can be division and frustration and questioning. And I think that part of what Paul does here is speak, maybe intentionally, directly, I don't know, but I think he speaks to all of it when he basically says, get back to basics Go back to the beginning, whether, whether your frustration is with one another, whether your frustration is with the, the leadership of the church or with the, your brother or sister, literally your brother or sister, or your brothers and sisters in Christ, or, or whether it is frustrations with God, go back to the beginning. Go back to the basics. What he names as, what he says, the first thing placed before you was that it was what was so emphatically placed before me that the Messiah died for our sins. And I, it just lays it out there. <laughs> this powerful, powerful moment. A reminder that the Son of God, and, and note even, even his choice of the words here, it was, it was not Jesus, it was the Messiah. The one for whom the prophecies for ages and ages professed would be this powerful, 
a person who would come to set us free, and the ways that that was understood would be, would be, oh, power and glory and majesty and defeat of enemies, and instead was someone whose love and humility led him all the way to the cross. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins. Go back to the basics, the beginning. This is the story that Christ chose to sacrifice himself for us. This is the story through which we are being saved. And not just the cross, but also the resurrection. That he presented himself alive to Peter, his closest follower, his, and then more and more and more people, all the way down even to Paul. That, that not only did the Messiah die, but the Messiah was raised again. This is the beginning, the basics, the foundation of who we are. The remembrance of this incredible gift and the remembrance of the incredible work, even of resurrection, that we believe continues to work in us. This is the way that we are saved. The power of God, the love of God, this is how we are saved. And, and I want to be clear, not were saved, but are being saved. And this is another thing I think that's important for us to note that Paul is doing, and so much of Scripture does, that the gift of the cross, the gift of resurrection, the gift of God's saving work is not once upon a time. It's not that moment that you were saved and then the rest is, well, you know, let's see what you do with that. No, it's God's ongoing grace, ongoing presence and love working in us. We are being saved again and again. This is something Wesley talked about with sanctifying grace. You know, that the ways that grace continues to work in our lives as we grow closer to God and closer to one Another. It, it, it's as if Paul is saying to them and to us, for those of you who think that you, that you aren't as good as you should be, don't worry. God has not given up on you. And for those of you who think that you are better than everybody else around you, don't worry. <laughs> God has not given up on you either. <laughs> That God is still at work, always at work. And it isn't just this idea that, okay, there's disunity, let's get to work on the unity. But this sense of actually going back to the space, the very power of the cross, the very power of the empty tomb. And Paul, Paul does that in part, I think, again, just something that just really strikes me. And he does this in a couple other places, and I, I'd never really noticed it as strongly as I did here before, but, but he goes into that little self-deprecating Paul mode. And, and I, I'm just going to name this, especially because we actually we spent some time in Bible study with this passage this morning, and we spent a lot more time than I anticipated, which was great, by the way, Mark, if you're listening. It was awesome. Um, just this sort of reality that we are challenged by is Paul really being sort of humble here, or is this like humble bragging? I don't know. I don't know. But let's just say, even if it is a humble brag, that God can use it. <laughs> but I love that what he does here is he opens by saying, I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know. 
having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. He's reminding them that in his own story, he was a persecutor of the church. That that is, you, you can come so far because what we're talking about here is not just any old forgiveness. What we're talking about here is the cross and resurrection. If you go back to basics, back to the beginning, what you hold on to is more powerful than anything else we can throw at it or put up against it. And we are reminded, fundamentally, of God's faithfulness, of the ways that God's grace is so deep and full that it can meet you wherever you are, even if you are someone whose entire life is fulfilled with persecuting the very church. And then he goes on and he he closes uh, most of this passage, but he says, so whether you heard it from me or from these others, it's all the same. And again, this is kind of this sort of sense of deprecating. It almost feels like this throwaway verse, but but I think part of what he's saying is, look, I can't be the only one doing this. And and thank God, I'm not. But you've got to be a part too. You, you, You have been called as well. God is calling each of us to work. This is Remember, the, 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 the response to the disunity is Paul's call to unity. Paul's call to become the body of Christ, to come back. And here he's saying, well, come back to basics. But even there, it is a call to work, a call to, to respond to God's call in our lives. And so what I want to say is what, what I think Paul is doing here is, is two things. One, well, I should say, first of all, the umbrella of it all is that we are called back to basics. But we do that for two reasons. One, to recognize God's faithfulness, to remember the gift of the cross and of resurrection, and to know the ways that they are at work in our lives again and always. Remember God's faithfulness. And two, to respond to the call to be a part of God's work. To know that because that faithfulness of God is at work in our lives, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to be at work for God. Now, here's the thing. Which of those is most important? Mm. I'm not going to get into all that, except to say, isn't that interesting? Whichever one you say last feels like it has a little more oomph. Because I think that's a part of the thing we can get tripped up on, right? Oh, we're called to work, so get out there and work. But don't forget that when you fall short, when it doesn't go well, when you miss the boat, God's faithfulness is still there. And because God's faithfulness is still there, we're called to work. But sometimes it doesn't work, so God's faithful. I mean, you can go back and forth all day. But I want, my point is, is I think Paul is, is really trying to hold them together. Now, if I had to answer my silly little rhetorical question, which I realize the rhetorical questions are not meant to be answered, but the point is, I definitely think God's faithfulness is the bigger of the two. But it's never just, it's never just there just to be there. Because God's faithfulness, the story of resurrection, is something that invites us to something more. It, frankly, what it does is it sets us free to be a part. And I love the way that Paul says it. I just want you to hear these words that he opens up this last paragraph with. Where he says, But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. And I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. 
Wouldn't that just be a good way to try and live? To acknowledge and recognize the incredible graciousness of God that is gifted to us over and over again. And to be somewhere, to live some way, to be the person that that graciousness sets you free to be. And to not let that grace go to waste. Amen.